This episode is sponsored by the HBAR Foundation and SoAir. Stay tuned for more information on both of them later in the episode. What's up, everybody? I'm Scott Melker, and this is the Wolf of All Streets podcast, where two times a week we talk to your favorite personalities from the worlds of Bitcoin, finance, music, trading, art, politics, basically anyone with a good story to tell. Now, usually I give a long-winded introduction, but I have the opportunity here not to because I've already introduced this guest twice. We've got a hat trick here from one of my favorites and one of our fan favorites, Mark Yusko. Mark, thank you so much for coming on the show again. Oh, thanks for having me, Scott. And uh, I, I love that it, it's a hat trick as a former soccer player. So uh takes me back to those good old days. That's right. Well, three goals. We, we got it. We finally we finally got it done. I have a figure, I have a feeling though that it won't be our last. So maybe we'll go for four, five, six, seven on like the road. I like it. <laughs> So listen, one of my favorite things that you've ever told me on a podcast before, and I've referenced endlessly, is that the best performing accounts at Fidelity are the deceased, right? People who have died and didn't touch their money and the accounts have grown. So I love that. Do you think that that will apply to crypto as well for crypto investors? Of course. And, And we all know these stories, right? We all know tons of people who bought it at, you know, $100 $100 and, and sold it at 1000 and, uh, you know, kicking themselves because they just can't get back in. And we know people who you know, bought it at, at uh, 20000 and watched it go to 3000 and then sold. So we got those bad stories too. But, you know, one of the challenges of, of this particular asset, uh, Bitcoin in particular, but Ethereum and, and others, but, but Bitcoin in particular, is it's engineered so brilliantly to create uh, a rising nominal price over time as adoption increases, right? It's, it's a true fixed supply asset. So simple supply demand, if demand actually does rise with a fixed or even dwindling supply, because some coins are lost or stolen, you have to have a rising price over time. That's just the way economics works. So the buy and hold or buy and hodl or whatever you wanna, wanna call it, is the preferred strategy. And it doesn't mean you can't trade these things. You can, if you're a great trader. I, I'm not a good trader. I don't, I don't trade. So I like to buy things, lock them in a drawer and protect myself from my own emotional thing. And, you know, Scott, one of the things that I, I was very fortunate in life, I had this, this great mentor, Julian Robertson, uh, when I was the CIO at, at University of North Carolina, and he's a Carolina grad. He kind of took me under his wing and and I don't mean I was there like in his office all the time, but, but I got to see him anytime I wanted and, and he would impart such incredible wisdom. But one of the best things is I got to interview all these young guys that left Tiger to start their own firms, whether it be Maverick or Lone Pine or Blue Ridge or, or Tiger Global. And I asked them all, you know, what made Julian so great? And like two things. So one, he would always say, live to fight another day. Don't press a losing bet. Don't try to prove you're right and the market's wrong. Just get out. Just move on. Live to fight another day. And second, they said he had an uncanny, uncanny ability to double up. Most people don't have that ability, right? They want to double down. They want to prove they're right. And they just destroy more capital. And they can't let their flowers grow. They want to pull them right away because they're afraid they're going to lose their gains. What you want to do is press your winners. Actually, I mean, a hashtag for it, you know, hashtag winners press winners. And uh, then I stole the hashtag from Paul Tudor Jones dorm room sign, you know, losers average losers. 
And so it's not that trading is bad in and of itself. You just have to have the right gut for it or the right instincts for it or, or the right discipline. It's really more about discipline. Those topics seem so conceptually obvious, which makes you question why they're so difficult to enact in the real world, right? Cut a loser short. Yeah, yeah. duh, right? And yeah. uh, let, let, your, uh, let your winners run, right? Buy low, sell high, the, all the memes that we have, but nobody can do it. So it, I mean- It's unbelievable. I mean, you, you think about, we can say it over and over and over again. And, and it's so hard. It's even hard for ourselves. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm horrible. Very hard. Training. That's why I don't do it. Because I can't get over the emotional side of me uh, versus the logical side. Um, so it, it, is, it is hard but it is simple. And but most people have to sell something sometime, right? So it, it, there's sort of this balance that uh, we all love to talk about Bitcoin, obviously, as this forever asset, right? I, even I, it's, a, it's not my retirement account, it's my kid's retirement account. Okay, maybe yeah. I'm in a position that I can hold it forever. But a lot of people who have seen these unrealized gains that may eventually get taxed by our government anyways, but we can talk about that in a minute. Uh, but these people who have seen these unrealized gains, maybe they want to buy a house or maybe they want to, you know, they're, they're real world things. So I guess for your average person who's seen this amazing run for crypto, what's the appropriate balance there for them? Well, and again, that's a fantastic point, Scott, in the sense that that shouldn't cause you any emotional damage, right? If you need to spend some fiat, then by all means, convert some of whatever asset. It could be real estate, it could be stocks, it could be bonds, it could be crypto, whatever it is. Now, a thinking person would say, well, let's convert the lowest opportunity cost asset to fiat to spend. But this idea that we're going to hold everything forever, no, that does, that's not realistic. We, we do have to live in the countries in which we choose and spend in those currencies. And you know, that's why we get in this debate of is crypto and in particular Bitcoin or others going to be you know, the world reserve asset? Is it going to replace all currency? And you know, aren't the governments going to ban it? Like, well, look, I actually don't think we're on that path. I think we're on a path to be a better store of value than physical gold because it's more portable and more divisible. And that doesn't mean I don't like gold. I, I like gold because it's tangible and it can do some things that you know, Bitcoin and other things can't do. But I do think that uh, your point about I may need some capital at some point to spend, and whether it's buy a house, whether it's to buy a vacation house, or it's to put your kids in college, yeah, you're going to have to spend in, in uh, fiat. And I, I don't get this whole thing about, well, we need everybody to accept Bitcoin. Like, you know, Tesla saying, oh, they're going to accept Bitcoin again until they realize that if they do that, then they're going to have to take the accounting right down and they're not going to do it again. But I view them as coexisting Agreed. in terms of a fiat world and an investment world. And if we keep our investments as investments and our fiat as our spending, we're much more happy. And don't, don't second guess yourself saying, oh, if I would have left it in, it could have gone the other way. I mean, yeah. don't know. I don't think I want to live in the uh, world where we're the only ones left, because to me, that's sort of this Mad Max dystopian future if the dollar collapses anyways, right? But I think there's something unique about the crypto community that makes this even more challenging, I think, for us than others. You don't have bond maximalists in the same way you have crypto maximalists, right? I feel like a lot of people are really, it's all crypto and nothing else. Yeah. So we talk about sell something else first, 
But for them, they have to really find that balance where they're comfortable. But like you said, it's absolutely inevitable. And it can absolutely go the other way. And will will go the other way for oh, sure. meaningful periods of time. And and look, I, I don't I don't think that you should not take those opportunities to, you know, buy the dip, so to speak. And but but Mark, you just said losers average losers. There's a difference. It's not a loser. Right? <laughs> no, no, it's a, there's a difference, right? A trade where you're buying it because the price is moving, you have no knowledge, you've done no analytical work, and there's no fundamental reason why you're buying, it's just movement. That's different than a long-term investment where you attribute value to that asset and determine if the current price is below or above. So I actually have this model that I track and I've been tracking it since really 2015 that, that says this is what our expected value of each network is, right? According to Metcalf's law, we can value what a network is worth. And whether that network is Amazon, that network is Apple, that network is Bitcoin or Ethereum or any other asset, we can value the network. And then we can decide is the current price above or below that value? Because price and value are not the same. We've talked about this on, on previous pods. That price is a liar. Price it has nothing to do with value. And the internet, in fact, it's funny, I was just thinking about tweeting this and now we're gonna talk about it. So it'll be on the internet this way, is that we live in a world where the internet has created a place where we know the price of everything and the value of nothing. And we don't think about value the same way we used to. And so price is just what you and I decide to exchange a small amount of some good or service for. The value, is something very different. And so when I look at how I think about digital assets and in my own portfolio, I actually don't have enough, believe it or not, digital assets yet that I need to sell them. I still have plenty of legacy assets, either private investments or I don't have any bonds, but, but equity investments uh, and even a little bit of cash. Uh, and I still have a little bit of income. That's the thing that people forget. Your income from whatever you do, your job or your gig or whatever it is, is a form of a bond, right? It's a fixed income that's coming and maybe it's variable, but it's an income. And so I still use that income to fund my fiat needs so I don't have to disrupt my overall portfolio. Yeah, I approach it almost exactly the same way actually. And something I sort of joked about a little bit earlier, let's talk about uh, taxing unrealized capital gains. Obviously it's the hot button topic this week. Uh, Janet Yellen you know, came out and said, just for a select few billionaires, as if it matters who you do it to. Um, and this is obviously the way we're going to raise money. We're going to punish capitalists for, for being entrepreneurs and, and doing a good job. But talk about the, I mean, I know the implications, but talk about the implications of a policy like that, especially if it dwindled down below billionaires into your average person, because that, you know, once they go for them, it, it tends to find its way, I would imagine, into the tax policy for all of us. Yeah, I mean, it's... It's mind numbing how stupid really smart people can be. Now you say, well, maybe they're not so smart. No, they're smart, right? We're, we're not talking about dumb people. We're talking about people with PhDs. We're talking about people who have graduated from prestigious universities and, and, and written extensively and, and proven that they have some intellect. They have intellectual firepower. But the, the stupidity of taxing unrealized gains 
on a cohort of people, to your point, that have been the most successful, not just creators of wealth, but creators of jobs, creators of growth, creators of hope, creators of, of philanthropy, creators of, of a better world. And this, this, this virtue signaling of saying, oh, we're going to punish billionaires. For what? For being good citizens? for providing good jobs, for making people's lives better, for getting up in the morning and running, right? Like you're supposed to, uh, it, it, it boggles the mind. Now, part of the problem is we're still stuck in this idiotic framework that was supposed to be temporary, right? Income tax was assessed to fund, I think it was the Spanish-American War in the 1800s, and it was supposed to be temporary. And now we have it still 170 years later. And, and that's insane. And so why do we have it? Well, because a lot of people's jobs depend on it. And so every time we talk about changing it, you know, the accounting industry says, oh, but I, I really like getting paid to, to do tax returns. And the IRS agents say, we really like get paid to enforce these, these you know, 800 pages of nonsense. But let's think about it for a second, Scott. If you were designing a, a program to raise money, would you want to encourage or discourage innovation and the creation of wealth? Pretty simple. You would want to encourage that action, okay? So if you think about taxing income discourages the creation of wealth and, and the creation of income because you just hide it. Right. And we know all the loopholes that all the, you know, the very wealthy go through to pay less tax than quote unquote their fair share because they can hire expensive lawyers to set up, you know, structures and, and do all kinds of things to get around. And they can lobby to make their thing. Like, think about why do we get to deduct mortgage interest and not interest on other debt? Hmm, that's funny. Why, why would that be? It's called lobbying or, or corruption. So it's a long-winded way of saying income tax is stupid. A progressive income tax has some logic to it in that, you know, from the, the people of greater means, more is required. I'm actually okay with that. If, if I fundamentally accepted the income tax, I can kind of get to a progressive tax as opposed to a regressive tax, fine. And in fact, a whole bunch of people should be exempt because they don't make enough to, to right. be taxed. Um, but the problem is you get to a point where then you disincentivize that incremental creation of wealth, right? Because it's just not worth getting up and, and going to work anymore. Yeah. Now, the real problem with now what we're talking about is taxing, you know, uh, gains that you haven't actually realized is now you're going to incent flight. Literally, people are going to flee this jurisdiction. And because now you can do business from anywhere, you can live in another jurisdiction and you will find a tax regime. Or our own government will allow us, if we move to Puerto Rico, we can pay only 10% of our tax burden. Yeah. 4%. Okay, that's for actually, some. Yeah. A perfectly legal, perfectly acceptable. And we used to do it in the Virgin Islands and now it's in Puerto Rico, but it's actually worse than that. You don't even have to be there half the time 
which is, you know, the rule says you have to be there. Have to, oh no, there's a little codicil. You need to be there. This is great. The maximum percentage of the homes that you owe, own. So most people think, well, I only have two homes. I have the home in the US and the home there. So it's 50-50. So I have to be 51%. Oh, no, you could have 13 homes and have to spend only a month in Puerto Rico to be a resident. Incredible. Now they may have closed that loophole, but it used to work that way in the Virgin Islands. You could have 13 homes, spend one month and you were good and you got the 90% off. So the, the really wealthy are gonna find a way around that anyway. But here's the real problem. Taxing gains at all is even dumber than taxing income because we want to encourage investment. We want to encourage risk-taking. It's like this nonsense about you know taxing uh, carried interest. No, it's not W-2 income. I put capital at risk as a venture capitalist. I put my own capital at risk side by side with my partners. And if, and only if, we generate long-term gains for them, do I share in those gains? If I don't make any returns, I don't make any gains. That's not income. I can't depend on that. It's like, being a, commission, it's like being a commission salesman. Of course you get paid. Exactly. When you're, yeah. And, and, and so it's, it's so phenomenally bad idea to tax gains and discourage investment. Now, they say, well, but how do we, how do we fund the deficit? The same way you're doing right now. You, you adopt this stupid theory, MMT. In fact, I'm doing a big presentation on it tomorrow. I mean, the idiocy of you know, modern magical theory. And you just print the money and destroy the value of the currency, which is the plan all along to siphon the wealth up to the 1% because the assets that you own at the 1%, you know, real estate, fancy cars, you know, scarce assets, soars in price as you devalue the currency. And look, that's why crypto is doing great. It's not that crypto is getting better. Crypto didn't get better. Now there are things in crypto that are getting better. We're introducing new chains and we're getting new technology, but the core crypto, it's not that they're better. It's that the asset we price them in is turning into toilet paper. So the dollar is getting less good. And so the Bitcoin to dollar price or the Ethereum to dollar price is rising. And so that's a long, long-winded way of saying uh, taxing gains of any form is stupid. Taxing unrealized gains is beyond stupid. Virtue signaling that you dislike billionaires is popular with voters, but idiotic. How many jobs has Amazon created? Four million by last count. That's Four insane. million people. Or my nephews, I have two nephews that they tried to go to college, didn't work out. People would say, oh, you know, they're in trouble. They're not gonna be able to do anything. They are making huge amounts of money running a business that puts tape on the floors of Amazon warehouses so the robots know where to go. Brilliant. It's awesome. That's it brilliant. is awesome. They've built a business and they are locking up and now they're extending into sign printing. Turns out that Amazon warehouses have a lot of signs, like go left here, go here. And so they're printing the signs for them. That's awesome. That's entrepreneurship. That we should be encouraging that. In fact, what we should do, Scott, is we should print a bunch of that funny money and we should put it in a national venture capital fund 
Right. We should hand it out to entrepreneurs who want to build, forget build back better, bullshit, build new better. How about build new better? That's what we want. We don't want the old, we want the new. Let's give money to entrepreneurs to build businesses, to build technologies. And then let's forget taxing income and forget taxing gains. Let's tax consumption. It's perfectly fair. You want to spend on a multi, you know, you want to buy that super yacht, you know, pay a lot of tax. You can't cheat. If you and I went out to a bar and we had a beer, we pay tax. If we bought a shirt, we pay tax. There's no haggling. There's no, oh, I want to deduct my mortgage interest against this shirt. You just pay the tax, right? No cheating, no IRS. We could get rid of all of those unproductive jobs and put them into creative jobs that, you know, produce something in the future. Yeah, the first bankrupt billionaire who pays on their uh, unrealized capital gains uh, two days before the market crashes, 50% will be a, would be a real experience uh, to see. Wouldn't have any billionaires left if the market went the wrong way. Correct. Right. Maybe that's the goal. Well, but, well, but see, here's, well, okay, now, now you're going to get me down in the rabbit hole, Scott. So, look, if your plan was to create money illusion, okay, by devaluing your currency, and pumping up the price of assets that are owned by a select few, then tax those same assets to bail out the profligate spending government. It sounds like a really good plan, right? It does. You mitigate Except the risk. <laughs> you give them the, the assets and then take it back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, give them the assets and then take it back. But here's the problem. What if those people are smarter than you which is reasonably likely assumption. And they front run you and they start selling the assets before you get to take them. Because someone said, so what's the date on which we determine the unrealized gains? Is it December 31st? Hmm. My guess is that every November and December now are gonna suck. Yeah, a lot of selling. Because there'll be a lot of selling and there will be no gains to tax. And then they'll just buy them back on January 1st and sell them again the next December. So the gaming of the system will, will be inevitable. But ultimately, taxing income and gains is dumb. Taxing consumption is better. And we could solve all these problems. But that's not what they want, right? Governments want to siphon the money to the top. They want to increase wealth and income inequality, which they've succeeded in doing since 1913. And that's why we all need to opt out with a portion of our wealth into crypto, which is why you and I keep talking. Exactly. So to, to that end, you and I have talked with Bitcoin at effectively every price, but certainly well under $10,000. Uh, because oh, yeah. we, you know, we talked, uh, I believe, for the first time in April or uh, May of, of 2020, something like that, maybe June. Now we're talking just hairs under another all-time high, right? When we were at effectively the yearly lows at that point. Yep. So are the things you just described, are those the reasons that we're here? Is it simply that the denominator is going down? Is it a wholesale understanding now about inflation and people buying into that? Is it ETFs? Is it institutions? Is it all these things? What's the narrative for why we're sitting near all-time highs? Uh, you know, here's the interesting thing. Um, it, it really is all of the above. Um, although I will argue that in the past year, a huge portion of it is simply the devaluation of the currency, right? We printed 40% of all the dollars created in the history of the Republic in the last 18 months, okay? So that, that's just an unfathomable number. 
And because of that, right, you know, I live in North Carolina in Chapel Hill and my daughter just moved here. She wants to buy a house. Impossible. House prices, you know, can't find a house to buy, first of all, and prices are up 18% quarter on quarter. I mean, it's just, it's unbelievable. You know, we went, I, I took my uh, parents to look at a house, uh, literally, okay, this house was not livable. Literally, you needed to spend a hundred grand to make it livable. Like to, you know, the porch was slanting and there were cracks and, you know, the bathrooms were old and moldy and just to make it even bearable for an 80 year old couple to live, it would have spent a hundred grand. Maybe you could get by with 60 grand, but 17 offers all above the asking price. People were putting down $50,000 in diligence, which is non-refundable. I was like, this is incredible. This is insane. And that is money illusion, right? That is this, this belief that, that the money is, is getting better and it's actually getting worse. And so a big portion of Bitcoin prices being near all-time highs is that. Now, the other parts are real too. Look, are there more institutions? Absolutely, right? You know, we were blessed to work with a handful of institutions, the biggest being Fairfax County. And, you know, they were the first uh, municipal pensions to, to invest and they have tripled down, right? Or tripled up, I guess, up, because we're very, they're, they're up a lot, um, but they tripled up and uh, they're leading our third fund. And now they've been joined by another uh, pension fund up in Michigan, has joined my friend Dan Tapiero's fund. And then we just read about the Houston firefighters actually buying uh, direct for the first time. So there will be others. So institutions are definitely coming to the party. Um, advisors at Morgan Stanley have been allowed to buy for their clients. Now, still not at UBS and Merrill Lynch. In fact, it's a crazy thing. At Merrill Lynch, as I understand it, they can't even take you as a client if you made your money in crypto. Yeah, they'll actually block you head if just they see crypto on your portfolio. Yep. My head just exploded. I mean, just insane. And yet, their parent company, Bank of America, has amassed the largest portfolio of blockchain patents on the planet. So something doesn't, doesn't make sense there. But uh, part of it is institutions coming. Part of it is just the natural growth of the network, right? If you look at uh, the model that, you know, Parabolic Trav made it popular. I don't think he actually did it, but it was the Metcalf's Law model. And then Tim Peterson has changed it a little with a, a different decay rate. And his is a little bit lower, but it said 10,000 in 2017, right on said 100,000 in July of this year, didn't quite get there. Uh, Tim says more like 38,000, we're definitely higher than that. So probably somewhere in between those two Metcalf's law curves is the right core value, uh, but you follow that. Uh, that just means more people are coming to the system. Uh, the one thing that, that happens episodically and, and we're in a trough now, and I actually hope we don't get another spike, but the leverage in the system from the Binance and, and the Wobies and, and, and all that, stupid, right? 100 to one leverage. I have a friend who shall remain nameless. He called me up and he's pissed. He's like, they stole my Bitcoin. I'm like, what are you talking about? He says, well, you know, I was in this account and, and, they, and they seized my collateral. I'm like, what account? And he, he and I said, dude, you were 100 times levered. You no one stole your Bitcoin. You <laughs> lost your fucking Bitcoin because you're an idiot. And I'm sorry, you are my friend, but that that's stupid. 100 times leverage on an 80 vol asset is stupid. And now here's the thing. If that company 
seize the collateral because that's the normal course of business, okay, that's not sinister. If the plan was to lure people in on the promise of get rich quick and seize the collateral, ooh, that actually might be sinister. And I'm not accusing anybody yeah. of that. No, and there's obviously a third option there that a lot of people say, which I'm not accusing anyone either, which is you take 100x leverage and then they counter trade you from their own desk and sweep those positions themselves. That's a that, whole other that, level. That I'm not saying it's true. Too, but again, I'm not <laughs> accusing anybody of that. Either. And I, I look, I, I do think that over leverage is as old as dirt, right? Making money is addictive. Making easy, fast money is more addictive. And look, people have been using futures to lever up in you know, treasury markets or in the stock market forever. And people have done dumb things day trading for, for you know, centuries. So that's not new. But I do think that this type of activity might, might have some sinister elements behind it. So that said, um, I do think that we, ha we have a trough now in that a bunch of people got liquidated in April, May. From my estimates, like 1.7 million accounts. Um, those people aren't coming back and people aren't going to take as much leverage probably in this cycle. And so one of the questions I've been asking and, you know, my, my partners, uh, Pomp and Jason don't actually agree with me on this, that, um, and, and just so everybody knows. So Pomp and Jason are my full partners on my first two funds. They're now my, my venture partners on, on fund three. So we still talk every week and we're still friends. And we still work together, but they are they you know they are doing other stuff, and I'm doing other stuff, and and all that good stuff. But but they they think we're not at the peak of this cycle. I can argue that maybe we're we are close to the peak at this cycle, and maybe this cycle got truncated a little bit by the Michael Burries of the world who who got short, and yes, he he probably got carried out in the most recent uh, move up, but. My guess is he has some staying power and he and others might be back in. Look, I am not a fan of uh, futures-based ETFs. I am super happy for the ProShares guys and I'm super, super happy for the Valkyrie guys because they are good people. They're awesome. I uh, love them. I'm an investor in Valkyrie, yeah. Yeah, and, and I love them, but but I, I'm just not a fan. And, and I believe, cynically, there's a reason that the futures-based funds were permitted first. And um, it's not a good reason. I think it's exactly if, if I were a bank and I was worried about disruption of my balance sheet from people moving deposits on chain, uh, what would I do? Well, first, I would try to stop them. I would have my chairman call it a fraud. I would try to you know, lobby to get legislation passed that makes it illegal. I would try to nudge, nudge the SEC to make it a security they didn't make it a security and they didn't make it illegal. I mean, China's tried that, but isn't, and we'll see how that works out. Uh, but they did try all the other stuff. So if all the other stuff failed, what would I do? Well, I would encourage, nudge, nudge, wink, wink, pay, pay. Uh, I would encourage approval of a futures-based uh, ETF rather than a spot-based ETF. Why? Well, anytime you have a market for a commodity, where you can create out of thin air a paper version of that commodity, you have the potential for manipulation. And you can see it in the oil markets over the years. Anytime the number of paper barrels of oil exceeds 
the number of physical barrels of oil, we get price spikes and collapses. And in the gold market, since the advent of GLD, which allowed people to uh, get short gold in the futures market on the other side, we've basically seen a weird you know, phenomenon where the, the money supply has gone like this and the price of gold has gone like this. Well, that doesn't make any sense. And it's causing Peter Schiff's brain to explode. But uh, it's because JP Morgan and others are spoofing the price because they can. So if you go back to December 18th, 2017, what ended Man. the speculative blow-off of, of the Bitcoin bull market in 2017 to the day was the release of the futures contract, which allowed some big players who shall remain nameless to go short. And once you seed the clouds for a bear raid, it will go longer and further than you think because you're unwinding all the leveraged speculators that came in at that parabolic move. Now, we saw that in April, right? People were getting liquidated like crazy, but then somebody, you know, we'll figure out who it was, but somebody came in in July and triggered this, this most recent move. But the fact that, and I, I said this a week ago, I said, you know, I, I really think that the ETF approval because it's futures-based is uh, buy the rumor, sell the news event. And it appears so far that that may be the case. And it's because I think there's a whole bunch of very large uh, malintended uh, incumbents that really want to put pressure on this market. And, and I think because now we have this, this futures uh, market that is deeper, they can, they can do that. Now, I hope I'm wrong, actually, and I hope that they don't have sinister intent, um, but it feels, it feels very staged, very set up, and, you know, very uh, perfunctory celebratory while they're kind of rubbing their hands together saying, hey, you guys think this is good, watch. So that, that does worry me a little bit. In the worst case scenario there, is that a bear market or is it the death of an asset? You know, oh, definitely. Talking- oh, no, 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 great, great question. No, there is no death of an asset, right? right. Th- th- this technology is here to stay. And I ask people all the time, name a, name a technology that got to critical mass that got put back in the bottle, yeah. right? Horseless carriage, air travel, trains, computing. I did this great this presentation the other day about uh, investing in innovation. And, you know, you had the telegraph and then the, the guy who found Western Union saying there's no commercial viability for radio. And then the father of radio saying there's no commercial viability of television. And then the television guy is saying there's no reason anybody would watch cable TV. And then the cable TV guy is saying there's no reason that streaming would ever work. And, you know, the head of, of uh, deck you know, saying that I can envision a day when a computer will only weigh 3,000 pounds. And in 1977 saying, uh, there's no reason that anyone would ever want a computer in their home. And then he got bought by a personal computer company 20 years later, which is kind of ironic. Um, Or uh, Bill Gates saying 637K memory should be enough for anybody. Um, And so it's, it's just that, I, I think there's zero probability, and you should barely never say that, but I, I actually believe it. I think there's zero probability that, you know, 
blockchain technology is going back in the bottle. I think there's zero probability cryptocurrency is going back in the bottle. I think there's zero probability Bitcoin is, is not digital gold. And do I think there's going to be volatility? And do I think it's possible, it's possible that we're at the tail end of this bull cycle, and then we got another bear cycle before the next uh, halving? Certainly possible. Uh, what could mitigate that? Uh, institutional adoption could certainly mitigate that. So if more people like the Houston firefighters start to buy the asset on chain, that would be literally. Literally, was my next question: Is can that uh, can that negativity be offset by the ETF actually giving enough people a vehicle to to buy the asset? Everybody in cryptocurrency already knows about Hedera Hashgraph. It's one of the fastest, most secure, and trusted networks on the planet. But what they might not know about is the H Bar Foundation. With a budget of 2.5 billion dollars already, they are funding entrepreneurs and projects that want to build on their blockchain and build within the ecosystem. Absolutely incredible. And they're not only giving them funding, they're actually helping them to develop it and then to get the word out as well. You guys should check out the HBAR Foundation and what Hedera Hashgraph is doing. You can do all of that at thewolfofallstreets.link slash HBAR. That is thewolfofallstreets.link slash HBAR. Do it now. Do you love sports collectibles or fantasy sports as much as I do? So Rare is blending this together to create an entirely new gaming experience powered by its community. So Rare cards are officially licensed NFTs from over 160 clubs, including Real Madrid, Paris Saint-Germain, and Liverpool, and all built on Ethereum. You truly own your collectibles. They are productive gaming assets that will generate rewards if you're a good fantasy player like me. Join SoRare and connect with your favorite teams, live the game with passion, and earn weekly prizes. You can do all of this at thewolfofallstreets.link slash SoRare. Yeah, I, again, if they approve a spot, yes. Well, yes, but for sure. There's no question, but there's a reason they futures, didn't do that, as no, you said. The problem with futures is it creates booms and busts. When you get too many paper assets, and look, at a billion dollars, it's not going to do it. If it starts to be multiple billions, and, and again, we, we can't compare it to the total asset, which is a trillion two. You got to look at the free float, which is only 15, 20%. So now we're talking hundreds of billions. So it wouldn't take that much with 99 times leverage to you know, maybe be problematic. So I, I'm, I'm not calling for a bear market. I'm not calling for a big correction. What I'm saying is, the likelihood that we're going to see the same parabolic craziness that we saw in 17 and 13 is probably less likely than it was a year ago. But we right? and we just did. I mean, it, you know, it's a. I tend to agree with you. I think we can go much higher, but I don't think we go from 60 to 250 in the same way we went from 10 to 60. I right. just don't see it, but for the same reason. I, you know, I had a less, I guess, a slightly less sinister thought on the futures. I do agree generally with what you're saying, but it seems like the cash and carry trade is so obvious. Maybe they just passed it so that people could get free yield, especially with GPDC trading at a 20% discount, now 12% in a week. Yeah. That's, that gap has been arbed away 8% probably yeah. by by uh, Grayscale themselves, um, you know, by, by buying GBTC. But I mean, that's free money, right? You have a you have a futures that's you know fifteen percent sort of expected premium with a ten percent twenty percent discount GBTC. Buy spot, short the future, free money. Free At money. least that has you buying yep. spot. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. And that yeah, as long as you buy the spot, then it won't put downward pressure on the market. 
if you happen to uh, misweight that, so to speak, yeah. uh, then you <laughs> could get a little bit of, of negative pressure. And look, I said, I, I, I think most people will do the pure arbitrage, you know, the GPTC arbitrage. It's funny, it used to be the arbitrage the other way, right? You bought it in the private markets, you sold it at a premium because there was limited supply. And then that completely went away and it became a closed end fund. And closed end funds always sell at a discount, which is the way it is. And I do think that there's some chance they could get converted into an ETF, although they, they have the challenge that all the um, emerging market index guys and gals have, right? Is South Korea is not an emerging market. In no way, shape, or form is South Korean emerging market. But if they didn't keep lobbying MSCI to keep it in the index, they'd have to give back 30% of their assets and they'd lose a bunch of revenues. So if you convert to an ETF, you're not going to get a 2% management fee. It's just not happening. And you can say, oh, my fancy Cayman Trust is worth the 2% management fee. It was past tense when it was the only game in town. Absolutely worth 2%. But the way the world's supposed to work is as you scale your business, whether you're a buyout fund or a venture fund or whatever, your fees should fall as you get a bigger asset base because you don't need the same level of fees to do the work. However, asset management business hasn't always worked that way and people hold on to high fees as long as they can. And so, look, Barry's a genius. I think DCG is absolute gold standard in this space. They've done a great job in every way. And... Uh, and a lot of people owe them a lot for having a vehicle that they could invest in when others yeah. wouldn't let them, you know, manage uh, the the direct ownership. So I think that's cool. But um, I think they'll probably resist converting to an e ETF at least as long as they can. And if that discount can close a little bit, then they'll rationalize and say, "See, it's not it's not a disservice to investors." Um, They're getting their fees either way, right? So I mean, the discount. Right. As you said, if, they, if you can collect 2% into perpetuity, the discount probably doesn't matter to them as much. Well, no, <laughs> it definitely doesn't matter to them, <laughs> yeah. for sure, for sure. But, you know, they, I think they had, and maybe it's past tense, but I think at one point they had an application to convert to an ETF, which clearly would mean lower fees going forward. Right. And I, I've definitely heard the argument that, you know, with the futures approval now, the, the hope for a spot ETF is years away especially with the structure that regulators are pursuing now. Nobody wants to obviously be the one to make that decision. And it seems yeah. like we're going to end up with a cryptocurrency regulator. And you know how fast the government moves. That'll take at least two or three years for anybody to take a serious look at it. Yeah. I think futures, the future ETF is what we're getting and we're going to get a lot of them. Yeah. I, I, oh, I you know, full disclosure, we're, we're in line too. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, everybody wants, wants to be in on the game and, and, you know, we're going to try to do an active versus a passive. So, you know, either cash or, or Bitcoin and, and we'll see how that flies. I like but that. Yeah. Well, I mean, Bitcoin's a few people haven't been talking about this so much. We talk about Bitcoin versus gold all the time, but I think another 10, 15% up in Bitcoin price and it surpasses the market cap of silver. I, mean, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have been thinking yeah. of that as a possibility until very recently. Uh, absolutely. And then right behind silver is diamonds and, and then eventually gold. And look, Bitcoin gold, Bitcoin gold equivalents for sure is going to happen. And when I say that, I mean the monetary value. And people always quote the full value of gold. And, you know, the jewelry part eh, probably doesn't count. The monetary value of gold, probably somewhere around $5 trillion-ish. Um, so from here... You know, round numbers, it's a five bagger. Five times. Sure. And uh, that 
to me is is in the bank. And to your point, I don't think it happens by the end of the year, like like some people do, but I think it's three to five years. And why wouldn't I own that? Now, I can be compelled and I don't, you know, you should actually have Murray Stahl on the show sometime. Murray runs a firm called Horizon Kinetics. He is amazing. He's an old time value investor from the traditional world. Uh, a few years, my senior um, was way early to the game. Uh, he's one of the biggest Bitcoin miners in the country too. Uh, and he does the old fashioned way. He buys all the machines from the bankrupt miners in the crashes and then use them as spare parts. So his machines never go down. Oh, wow. Guy's a genius. Oh, the guy's a genius. He makes a case that makes me sound like the most bearish guy in crypto. I mean, he absolutely believes fundamentally that uh, cryptocurrency and particularly Bitcoin are going to replace global M2. And that that is a hundred X from here. And I can't argue against him, right? Especially when he actually presents the argument. It's, it's nearly impossible to argue against because he's so elegant in his, in his theory. Um, and he's, you know, forgotten more about the markets than most of us will ever know. But I just think the time horizon is tough. And I, I think there's one interim step. I think the Remin B ascends into a more dominant place, kind of replacing the dollar as the most dominant. And I think the, you know, the E Remin B will be a step in that direction, depending again, how sinister they make it. Look, I, I'm sure you've seen the BIS guy you know, talking about CBDCs and, and how, of course, we need to be in control. And of course, Big we need guy. a program. I mean, the dude is frightening to look at, first of all. He's humongous. I mean, he's, he's just humongous. And, and, and it's uncharitable, but, but it's just fact. And truth is an absolute defense. But, but he's, he, what, the, when he talks, it takes on a sense of evil in that, well, of course, we should be able to control how you, how and when you spend your hard-earned money. Like on, on what planet should that be the case? On no planet. Should someone work hard all week to get paid? And then you say, well, if you don't spend in these four areas by next week, your money disappears. That is absolute insanity. But that is what is in these people's brains as to the benefits of a CBDC. And that's why it's even more important that you opt out for a portion, not all, but a portion of your wealth to get it into a decentralized form. Is Bitcoin the only decentralized form worth getting that money into, or no, do you believe no. that we're seeing I, I a lot Bitcoin. of others emerge? I love Bitcoin. I actually like Ethereum. I love Solana. I, look, I and, and the reason I love Solana is I, I love Kyle Samani and, and Tushar Jain. They, and I tweeted about it last night, what, what they did, and we invested in their fund, and I didn't really, I thought they'd do well, but I had no idea how well they would do. And you know, they're going to end up with their first fund being one of the best venture capital funds in the history of venture capital. I'm just saying a lot. And I've seen some doozies, you know, when I saw benchmark one up 96X and uh, you know, multi-coin capital one is gonna eclipse that uh, maybe by a meaningful amount. And so, I'm a huge Solana fan because of that and how they've executed. Now, I like Polkadot too. I like, um, I like Cosmos. And I think to me, Bitcoin is the base layer. And I think it, it's one and it is. I think Ethereum is like the www dot. I think Filecoin is the best thing for file transfers. And then there's the middle part. 
And in the, in the internet, we have HTTP and SMTP. And I, I can make the case for Polkadot. I can make the case for Cosmos. I can make the case for Solana. I can, I can make the case that Solana becomes an Ethereum killer, but a lot of things have tried to kill Ethereum. And so I don't need to be right on that. I'm going to own a little bit of all of them. And then beyond that, I think there's tons of decentralized stuff that you want to own from play to earn. I am the biggest Axie Infinity fan on the planet. I, I think what those guys have done, is, when I say guys, I mean guys and gals, because there are yeah. gals involved. Not enough, right? I mean, crypto actually has more gals than my old regular investment world, which was not all enough. guys, but, but there's just still not enough balance, but it's getting better. Um, so when I say guys, I mean guys and gals. But I think what they've done is absolutely extraordinary. And I think it actually makes the world a better place. Like, what are you talking about? It's just stupid game. I'm like, no, oh, no. it changed people's lives. All over people the to opt out world. of I their mean, crappy jobs. <laughs> Go yeah, play Axie yeah. Infinity. I mean, the Philippi the adoption in the Philippines by people who've never heard of crypto before is absolutely yeah. astounding. And, and and again, it's just it's just they have better lives. And people say, oh, but they're being exploited. Like you make a dollar a day working as a migrant laborer, or you make fifty dollars a day playing Axie for somebody. I don't know. That seems like a better life. Um, and and the cool part is there was a time most people don't know this. There was a time. In the United States, we may have already talked about this, but where every African American doctor or lawyer in the United States was a son or daughter of a Pullman porter, who were basically indentured servants, right? And it's pretty amazing. Well, that was a really challenging life, right? You rode around on the train and you were owned by the train, which is a concept I can't wrap my head around that people were owned. But but what did they do? They saved their money and they made a better life for their kids through education and upward mobility and those kids. And then eventually we had an African-American president. And that's awesome. And the same thing here, right? These people, some of them have saved some of that money, have bought their own axes, are now converting their time, okay, into value, taking that value and selling it to people like me who will, are willing to exchange value for time because I don't have the time to breed axes. So I'll just buy an axie. I tried to convince my son to breed axes. Like, Dad, just buy one. I'm like, no, no, I want you to earn it. I want you to build it. Uh, but he just wanted me to buy one. And okay, then the funny part, though, Scott, is he looked at the price. Like, I'm not paying four hundred dollars. <laughs> exactly. Now I bet you want to breed. Like, them. <laughs> we're value. We're a value family, and I've raised him to be a little value investor. And he's like, I'm not paying four hundred bucks. I'm like, well, then I guess we're not playing axes. But I love what they're doing. I I, I just invested in a couple DAOs. I think DAOs, decentralized autonomous organizations, change the world. I mean, literally change the world. And I think about this a lot. Look, we love, love Uber, Lyft, Ola, Grab, uh, Didi. We made tons of money for our investors in all those companies. I love them. I think they're fantastic. But now, every time I get in one, I think, why does someone who wrote code six, seven, eight years ago get 30% of every ride I take. Hmm, maybe that doesn't make sense. Maybe we should have a decentralized version where the rider and the driver share that 30%. Maybe that should happen. Probably will happen. Actually, it will happen. Yeah, it will and, happen. and that's nothing against Uber and Lyft. It's just an evolution of the technology. Their technology was better than hailing cabs, right? And this is a better technology for a decentralized world and a metaverse. And the you know, I, I love the fact that you were slash are, I don't know if you ever lose being a DJ, but uh, you're a music guy. And, and I 
because of my 10 year old kind of like EDM because he loves EDM. And so I actually, I know just as much to be dangerous about that, that whole scene. And I love the fact that there were EDM parties going on this weekend in the metaverse. It's, it's just mind. I mean, and I saw, again, my son and I play uh, Pokemon Go and one of the coolest experiences I've had other than the one I had last week, which I'll talk about in a second. Um, I went to a virtual concert uh, of Post Malone, which was a virtual Post Malone in Pokemon Go in a metaverse. And I was just like, this is awesome. And the music was great. And the, the animation was great. And I think that's really cool. Now, it was surpassed. I, I went to the Stones for the first time a week ago Sunday with Yoni from eToro. And I had never seen him. And I grew up with them. And, you know, I'm a boomer. And so they're, they're our band, right? I had no idea that Mick Jagger was as good as he is. I mean, I knew he was Ever. good. Ageless. I, I've never seen anything like it. This man at 78 years old put so much passion and joy and just raw talent. I get hoarse from one football weekend. This dude is belting it out for two hours a night for 45 years. And he sounds amazing. And he can dance better than most 40 year olds. And when he did the final solo with this backup singer who was better than Beyonce, they were so dazzling. I mean, I was totally mesmerized. Anyway, so that was that was very cool. That's a good, I, that's one of the few bands I still haven't seen myself. Oh, I had the same experience, I, I, I think. The last time I saw Prince, not long before he died at Madison Square Garden, was a very similar oh. experience. I was like, this dude's a, like, how? And he's and he's probably 20 years younger than Jagger, so, or, or more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really unbelievable. But uh, do you, the what you just described in the metaverse and Axie Infinity and all these things that are being built, to me, is really probably the most exciting thing happening in this space because... We, we sort of rail about the ideas of how Bitcoin and, and all these things and holding and it can change your life. But this is every single day it's changing people's life and it can be tomorrow. Every day. Right. Every and day. they're realizing no. the gains from it. It's not a matter of do I buy Bitcoin to hedge against the inflation and in 50 years it'll this is like tomorrow you do this and you're making more than your job and you can quit your job and you can go work in the metaverse and never come back. Look, it's it's so unbelievably cool when you think about history right every disrupted industry complained i want my job back right street sweepers think about that job pushing horse poop okay we're mad they were going to lose their job because the horseless carriage came in and those jobs didn't ever come back okay we have more jobs today than we've ever had in the history of mankind but we've lost tons and tons of jobs but they got obsolesced or obsoleted, whatever, whatever the word is. Um, and they got, they, they got, you know, disappeared and uh, they got Thanos, right? With the uh, thing. So <laughs> those jobs are gone and they're never coming back. And that's okay because we create new ones. Now, look, I struggle a little with the idea that we can't just entertain each other. Some people have to grow food. Some people have to build widgets. Some people have to you know, generate the electricity we're using to talk to each other. Now, the good news is technology makes the number of humans that do that lower and lower and lower every year. Like we used to have 50% agrarian employment. And now we have like three or something like that. I don't even know if those numbers are right, but close. Directionally, they're right. And so most 
of what the rest of the world does can be about entertaining each other and about commerce. And there is value in going out to a really nice restaurant with your family and having an experience. There is value in getting in the car and taking a road trip to see you know, destinations together. There is value in us you know, converting energy, literally our body's energy into value by recording a podcast together. All of these things create value. Going into the metaverse and creating a business platform or a real estate platform uh, or you know, working a job to create new things that people can engage in a game, uh, it does create value. And I, I don't want us to get to the, to the wall E stage of the little fat guys sitting on the, right. I say that all the time. I don't, I don't want that. You know, I don't want that. I really don't. I don't want to just sit at a screen and be served ads and drink my big gulps and, and have my bones go away. I don't want that. I want to be fully engaged and I want to, you know, live life and I want to be a productive member of society. And and so what I feel like I do, right, is I I help grow people's capital so they can go do other things. Um, But all of this innovation is, I believe, leading to a better world. And it can reverse this incredible income and wealth inequality that's been created by the fiat fiasco and it and decentralization where communities govern one another i believe i truly believe is a better form it's ah, socialism it's nothing to do with socialism it's totally capitalistic because capitalism wins cronyism loses socialism cronyism communism all those are bad okay being communal and and watching out for each other and having aligned interests like that driver and myself owning that exchange of value rather than a third party intermediary right if i want to send you money you don't need a bank account i don't need a bank account i don't need we don't need to pay fees for the wire i can just send you a bitcoin that's better that's a better world and we can strip out all of that trillions of dollars of waste and we can unleash it into the creative economy and that creativity will create new ways to engage to grow to live more fully and that's really cool couldn't agree more and i have to say I don't think three hours of my life have passed quicker than the three times that we've spent an hour talking to one another. I just looked at the time and absolutely amazing that oh, an amazing. hour has already passed. So now that leads me inevitably to say, where can everybody follow you after this and keep up with everything that you're doing? Yeah, so I'm, I'm easy to find. Uh, you know, I'm on Twitter. My wife says way too much at Mark Yusko, M-A-R-K-Y-U-S-K-O. Uh, Morgan Creek Cap, CAP.com is our, our website at, at Morgan Creek, uh, both Morgan Creek Capital and Morgan Creek Digital. And, uh, you know, I, I do a decent number uh, of, of podcasts and things like that. So you can find me if you just Google me in, in, uh, in the metaverse. But, uh, you know, few of them do I enjoy as much. Uh, I, I could not believe that we've spent an hour together already. Yeah. Uh, as this and and you know how we got to end it though my friend you're the only you're the only guest i howl with so i guess i'll have to do it on one two three 
All I right. added in the little dog one. Man, thank you so much. And we're going to get uh, round four on the book soon. All right. Thanks, man. Thanks, I appreciate buddy. it.